Ski, Shoot, Repeat, a biathlon podcast, hosted by Lizzie Boyle. Episode 16. Hello, Goodbye. Welcome to the season finale of Ski, Shoot, Repeat. There's a lot to get through this week. Retirements, victory parades, honours and awards, extended highlights from Oslo, plans for the future, and some options for careers post-biathlon. So let's dive straight in. As we say hello to spring, we say goodbye to winter and to the biathlon season. We also say goodbye to some biathletes and coaches who have announced their retirements. Let's start with Marta Olsbu-Roisland. If you watched closely, you could see that Marta was coming. In her first season, she was ranked 81st overall, then 53rd, then 44th. By year four, she was 22nd in the world. And then it started to happen. She was in the top 15 then the top five. She started to feature in Norwegian relay teams and she picked up a silver medal in the sprint in the Olympics in Pyeongchang in 2018. Then everything seemed to accelerate. Marta started to win World Cup races, three a year, plus relays and championship medals. By the 2020 World Championships in Antholz, you kind of knew that something special was going to happen. And it did. She won seven medals in seven races, five golds and two bronzes. She was the second ranked biathlete in the World Cup that year, and then, in the 21-22 season, she took the overall World Cup and the Sprint and Pursuit titles. The 2022 Olympics in Beijing belonged to her. Three golds and two bronzes. She seemed unstoppable. And then it stopped. At the end of last season, probably exhausted, she also fell ill, and it took a long time for her to recover. That's why her 22-23 campaign only kicked off late. She's 32 years old now. There's a whisper around that she might go and help to coach the German team. Her Norwegian husband is a coach for them already, and she might be able to help, particularly with some of the emerging young talent that they're bringing into the sport. When you watched Marta Olsby-Roisland in full flow, she was fast. She was liquid on skis. Her shooting could be pinpoint accurate, but never showy. She wouldn't shoot like Dorothy Vera, for example, but she was a racer, an absolute competitor who would chase down any forlorn hope on the track. She wouldn't let any race get away from her. And she would always give every breath in her lungs and every ounce of effort to try and win. There's another Norwegian biathlete retiring, but it's someone I've barely mentioned, as she hasn't competed at all this year. The year that Marta Olsbu-Roisland came second in the world, she was second to Tyrell Ekhoff. Tyrell's the same age as Marta, 32, and they kind of came up together though Tyrrell was in the Norwegian team earlier. She had some success quite quickly, moving into the world top 10 in her third year and staying there or thereabouts for a few years. The thing that Tyrrell had was speed. She was so fast on the tracks and that was often at the expense of her shooting. You always felt that she could win if she could just contain herself on the range. She picked up medals here and there, but you just felt that something would click into place and she would be a champion. And then, 2020 to 21, as the world closed down, Tyrrell opened up. It suddenly all made sense. She became the World Cup overall champion and won the sprint and pursuit titles. She also dominated the World Championships in Pekluka in 2021 with six medals, four of them gold. Her form dipped a little in 2022 as Roisland came to the fore, and she too has struggled with ill health. There were reports of slow recovery from COVID, she hasn't competed at all this year and has now decided to retire. Again, she has nothing left to prove, 
but it's sad that we didn't get to see her say farewell on the tracks. She was, however, spotted watching through the scopes at the range in Oslo, so perhaps a move into coaching for Tyrrell too. Denise Hermanvik is the prototype for a cross-country skier becoming disillusioned, taking up biathlon mid-career. At the age of 28, she was older than many German champions have been when they've retired. She's 34 now. It took a couple of years to make the transition. Her ski speed was always phenomenal, but it's a different game when you're carrying a rifle on your back and you have to stop periodically, calm yourself down and shoot at some targets. That journey and the patience to stick with it have been inspirational to people like Stina Nielsen and Anna-Maria Lampic, and also a lesson for fans and commentators that this kind of thing doesn't happen overnight. Denise has already been a world and Olympic champion, and we might hear more about her later. Not everyone who plays this sport gets to win. Some people do it and are good at it and don't always get the glory. Anais Chevalier-Boucher and Marie Ada would probably fall into those categories. I've talked about Anais before, as she's one of very few mothers who have returned to the sport after starting a family. She said at the time that deciding to come back meant that it had to be worthwhile, so it actually stoked her competitive fire. She's a top 10 kind of athlete, whose pinnacle was probably a silver medal in the individual race at the Beijing Olympics in 2022, and she'll also feature a little later in this podcast. Marie Ada is another stalwart, 35 years old now, and the leader of the Finnish women's team for many years. At a time when Finnish biathlon was in the doldrums, Marie was the one bringing, bringing the light. She had a couple of World Cup wins in 2017, and a fourth in the World Championships individual race in that year as well. It feels like she kept the flag waving for Finland for a few years, and that now there's more structure and more of a team developing in her wake. That's a good legacy to have. There are probably more that I've missed, and for some reason the news travelled faster about the female biathletes retiring than about any of the men, so apologies if I've left anyone out. It's nothing personal, I promise. All the weather came to the Holman Colony in Oslo last weekend. The last cold breaths of winter brought gusty conditions, fog and heavy snow, meaning the postponement and rescheduling of various things. The proceedings started on Thursday with the men's sprint and the return from Covid of the Bow Brothers and Canton Fillon Maillet. No one really knew what to expect. Had they come back just for a kind of ceremonial end of season purposes or would they be healthy enough to be competitive? The answer, for Johannes and for Canton Fillon Maillet at least, was healthy enough to be competitive. Johannes did his thing, went out hard, went early, built a lead and had enough cushion and speed that he could shoot 9 out of 10 and win again by a comfortable margin. Second went to Martin Ponsoloma of Sweden, shooting 10 out of 10 as if freed from the expectations of the Ostersund crowd. Benedikt Doll and Andres Rastoguyevs continued their excellent recent form to finish third and fourth. Shout out to Slovenia for both Jakov Fack and Anton Vidmar finishing in the top 20. Interestingly, it wasn't a great day for the Swiss with Hartberg and Stalder shooting well up, but seeming to be off the pace. More on these two later. The women's sprint was the first victim of the weather. After all the warm-ups and zeroing, the fog and snow were just too much for the race to even start, and it was delayed from sat Friday to Saturday. This meant that something had to come out of the schedule, and so the women's pursuit race was cancelled. So Saturday saw a doubleheader of the men's pursuit and the women's sprint, with calmer conditions and bigger crowds. 
In the men's pursuit, Johannes went out hard to extend his lead. He was taking 10 or 12 seconds per lap, shot five out of five early on. The lead kept growing, 47 seconds by the second lap, over a minute by the halfway point. He was running so easily on his skis, there was no stress in his body, it was all just flow. He missed a shot in the third shoot, but there was no panic. By the time he arrived for the final shoot, he had the luxury of grinning at the crowd, pausing after his fourth shot to shush them, then taking the fifth shot and hitting them all. He cruised the last lap, smiling, high-fiving, waving, picking up a flag, bowing to the King of Norway. You might think it's tacky or unsportsmanlike, but honestly, he's won 19 races out of 23 this year, and he's absolutely entitled to look like he's enjoying himself. Meanwhile, behind him, a group of chasers emerged, with Benedict Dahl, Quentin Fionnier, and Storholm Ligrid both all moving up. Behind them, and coming into contention, the better shooters, and a great group of some of the oldest and some of the newest, Taye Bo, Simon Edder, Nicholas Hartweg, Tommaso Jacamel, Timo Seppola, Fabien Claude. Into the final shoot, and Ligrid had a good lead over Fionnier, but missed one. Fionnier showed the sort of steel that he had all last season to shoot five out of five and was able to hold off Ligrid on skis to take second. Behind them, some of the other chasers. A special mention to Hartweg, who came up from 32nd in the sprint to finish fifth, and Ponsoloma, who had a nightmare, missing four shots, but still somehow came seventh, so must have been travelling very fast. In the women's sprint, well, the context for this was the series of announcements from the biathletes who would be retiring. Denise Hermann-Vick, Anais Chevalier-Boucher, and the home favourite Marta Olsbu-Roisland. So there was a huge groundswell of support for some of the veterans, and a lot of banners and signs around the course. The women's sprints is seven and a half kilometres with two shoots, and pacing is everything, especially given the size of some of the hills in Oslo. Some of the big names were starting early, people like Lou Jean Monod, Emma Lunder, Elvira Erberg, the Lisas, and Roisland. But despite being the shortest race, the sprint is the one that can take the longest to unfold. It's effectively an individual time trial, so you've got a hundred starters to get out onto the course, and you only get a picture of things once the top 30 or so have been through the first shoot. The early starters shot well in increasingly windy conditions, and some bright, glaring sunshine. There was a sharp intake of breath from the commentators at Roysland's 5 out of 5, as three of them were slap-bang in the middle of the targets. There were struggles for Lisa Vitozzi and Anais Chevalier-Boucher, but good shooting from Hannah Erberg, Julia Simon, Ingrid Tandrevold, and Denise Herman-Wick. Even though she had to reload around and lost a bit of time, she still got her five out of five. In the standing shoot, things started to get tougher. Roisland lost her relaxed posture and suddenly looked tense, like she wanted it too much. She missed two to go eight out of 10 for the day. Hannah Erberg shot 10 out of 10 and made me realize how often I've ruled her out this season and how you never can. She also managed to tag on to the back of Julia Simon on the way out of the range, so she got a good toe around the tracks. But Denise Hermanvik was the one who held it together, shot 10 out of 10, and was fast across the snow. She came in to take the lead, ahead of Hannah Erberg, Julia Simon, and Teresa Vobornikova. And now the wait. Has Denise won the last sprint race of her career after winning the Sprint World Championships earlier this year? Sprint races have a long tail. When you get to the midfield numbers, the 40s and 50s, you wonder if anyone can have a great day and get up to the top 10, maybe the top five. 
It can happen on a day when others have struggled on the range or when the conditions ice up later in the day and get faster. The TV coverage tends to flatten a little at this point. Sometimes there's a lull because you kind of know that no one's going to make it and the, the result is a done deal. But in Oslo, sometimes, someone from the middle of the pack can surprise us. So who's it going to be? How about Janina Hetich-Waltz, 10 out of 10 and only 25 seconds behind coming out of the range? Or Anna Magnusson, number 47, who started the season brilliantly, who shot 10 out of 10 and is only 20 seconds behind? And what about 53, Chloe Chevalier, the other Chevalier sister, shooting patiently and accurately for her 10 out of 10 and now off on her skis? We held our breath and waited for the final result. And no one could quite catch Denise in first or Hannah Oberg in second. Anna Magnusson gave it her all to finish third, just 0.2 of a second ahead of Chloe Chevalier. Brilliant and unexpected from both of them. Julia Simon came fifth, which is actually a pretty good sprint result for her. Bobornikova got a lifetime best sixth, Janina hetich vols was eighth, and the midfield numbers did pretty well. Anne Chevalier-Boucher made, made it into ninth, so there were three French women in the top ten again. And some surprise names up there. Or maybe not surprises. People we know have this kind of performance in them, but who aren't necessarily able to deliver it week in, week out. With this race, you just had to keep watching, and then you had to stay for the podium, to see Denise getting her not-quite send-off. Afterwards, she said, it was like a dream, that she was a little bit nervous. She said she had a high heartbeat in the start area, but she found her focus once she started, and once she was on the range. Sunday was the two mass starts, and the weather came back. There was a glorious combination of rain and fog, with really poor visibility, particularly for the women's race. The fog also added a horror movie element of menace, as well as a bit of a challenge for spectators and commentators to pick out who was who. The men's mass start came first, and all the smiles had gone from Johannes Tingisbo on the start line. This was time for serious head-to-head -head racing. The mass start is a longer format race, so it rewards good shooting and patient skiing. Burn all your energy too early and you're in trouble. It's also one where the maxim, miss early, is very much true. You've got enough time and distance to catch up, so long as you can stay clear after that. In the men's race, there was a good group at the start, and Quentin Fillon-Maillet was up there with them. I've kind of missed him the last few weeks, and he wasn't himself earlier in the season. But this was a reminder to us all that he was a great champion last year, and could be again. Johannes started to turn the screw a little on the tracks, and only Martin Ponsoloma was happy to go with him. The others weren't convinced, but Ponsoloma seemed comfortable following Johannes around, at least for a little while. Heading towards the range for the first time, they'd taken 10 or 12 seconds out of the field, but the price of that effort was that they both missed a shot. Behind them, there was some really good shooting, with 22 out of 30 competitors shooting clear. Through the second lap, Johannes and Ponsoloma were able to catch up to some, some of their lost time, and there was a big group emerging from the mists, all skiing on the left-hand side of the tracks with Johannes skiing on the right, bouncing up a hill and overtaking most of the group. This is where he's ridiculous. His speed uphill is so much better than everyone else's. That said, he resisted the temptation to go charging ahead again. It was a more patient race for him, hanging in with the group, knowing that he can outski everyone later in the race. You could just see him lurking in the background in all the TV shots. After the second shoot, things began to shake out, and it was Norway and Switzerland coming to the fore. The Bow brothers and Christiansen, along with both Hartweg and Stalder. Briefly, there were two Swiss and two Finns in the top 10, which was great to see. And now Johannes really started to turn the screw, skiing off the front of the race. 
no one could go with that. His brother Taye tried hardest, but by the end of the lap, the lead was pretty solid. Johannes shot quickly and cleanly, five out of five before anyone else had taken a shot. Hartweg and Christiansen shot clean again, and there was some reshuffling of the order lower down. Coming into the final shoot, and you realise that it's the last shoot of the men's biathlon season, and that we've seen something incredible this year. Johannes is moving towards his 19th win of the year, which is ridiculous. He's got a 35 second lead and a serious face, and there's a wild miss from him, but it's still four out of five, and enough for him to head off around the final lap knowing he's going to win. Behind him, Hartweg and Christiansen both go five out of five, but Hartweg has skied this smartly. He spent some time drafting behind Christiansen on the previous lap, and he looks fresher on his skis. As the lap goes on, he looks faster and faster, while Christiansen looks heavy and slow and out of balance. There's some ferocious skiing from the chasers up the big hills. Can they catch Christiansen for third? But he's got enough juice to hang on, coming in third behind a more subdued but still smiling Johannes and a delighted Nicholas Hartweg. Quentin Fionnier came in fourth, and there's a seventh for Sebastian Stalder making two Swiss in the top ten. The biggest cheer and the joy of this sport was reserved for Strolia of Lithuania, who missed six and came in five minutes after the winner, with a huge grin on his face and lots of waves for the crowd. And so it comes to this, the last race of the season. It's emotional because we've been on a journey together, and I'll recap some of that journey later. But right now, it's all about the women who are saying goodbye after this race. The field for a mass start is the top 25 ranked athletes and a selection of others based on their performance at the weekend's event. This race is all patient during the first lap, with Julia Simon making some early pace to please the huge French contingent in the crowd. The first shoot, some of the big names go clear, some of the lesser names too, but there are misses from Anais Chevalier-Boucher, Denise Hermanvik and Dorothy Avira. Remember the rule though, miss early. On the second lap there's a strong group out front trying to break away, featuring Hannah Erberg, Julia Simon, Lisa Vitozzi and Marketa Davidova. A chasing group won't let them get away, Tandravold, Roisland, Jeanne Minot, Magnussen. They all shoot five out of five in the second shoot and behind them Hannah Kebinger of Germany is also clear and moving up the field. At this point in the race, apropos of nothing, Anais Chevalier-Boucher is in 15th place, one minute behind the leaders, with two misses. This is the Chekhov's gun moment of this movie, I'm giving you this information because it may be important later. Lap 3 is where things go awry for the French. Julia is skiing hard alongside Hannah Erberg, and Lujan Minot in third was working a lot to try and keep up. One thing you'll know from mass starts when you're halfway through is that the story has a long way to go. More happens at the end of every movie than at the start. Chevalier Boucher's moved up to 13th and picked up five seconds. Roisland and Tandrevold are in the top 10, along with some names we don't hear often, like Kebinger, Gasparin, Gandler. The third shoot is big. Julia misses two and drops back. Hannah goes clear. Lou manages to take her time, calm herself down, and get them all down. Hannah Kebinger is clean again and emerging from the pack. Davidova, Simon and Roisland, who missed one earlier, they're all coming, as are Vera, Gasparin, Gandler and Anais Chevalier-Boucher. Anais is in 11th and is 56 seconds off the pace. I'm giving you this information, just in case. Somewhere in the fog is Hannah Erberg. Somewhere behind her is Lou Jeanne Then Helen Kepinger, who we've barely mentioned all year. She's young and steady, a very good shot, 
a decent skier, but she doesn't have the, the, the consistency or the speed of the elite, elite racers. Not yet. This, though, could be the handover moment. Denise Hermanvik steps away, and Hannah Kebinger steps up. Maybe. This is a mass start. Something is going to happen, but we don't know what or to whom. The unpredictability of sport is part of its magic, and the ridiculous amount of unpredictability in biathlon is compelling. It all comes down to the final shoot, and there's hardly any visibility now. Hannah Erberg is patient. She manages four out of five. Lou Jamino is running out of air. She's flustered and she misses more than she hits. There are misses everywhere. Simon, Davidova, Tandrevold, and the penalty loop is suddenly very crowded. Roisland shows she can do this literally with her eyes closed and shoots five out of five, as does Kevinger. And suddenly, Anais Chevalier-Boucher, who's only shot 17 out of 20, is in fourth and chasing. I told you it would be useful information. It's her last race and she is leaving nothing in the tank. Chasing down Kebinger to take third, behind a delighted winner, Hannah Erberg, and a very special second place, Marta Olsbu-Roisland. And there was a moment near the end, when it became clear that Hannah Erberg was going to win, and Marta, who's retiring, was going to come second, and that Anais, who's retiring, might come third. And you start to cry, and this is ridiculous to feel so attached to these people, who are giving their all, and to be screaming at the TV because you're so joyful for everyone. And the Norwegian crowd are going absolutely crazy for Roisland. And the French contingent are going crazy for a nace. She's met by her husband and her daughter. And there's champagne and glitter bombs at the end. And Roisland and a nace are eating donuts at the finish line. And you can just see the camaraderie and the joy and the love that these athletes share. And Maria Ada is retiring. So they're handing out crowns and finish flags. And there's more glitter. And you have to feel for Lou Jean Monod, who could have been right up there for this race, but finished 18th. But maybe this one was for Anais and the old guard, and Lou Jean Monod and Hannah Kebinger can have the results next year. The big trophies in biathlon are called Crystal Globes. This will be familiar to you if you follow other winter sports, as they're the customary trophy in alpine and freestyle skiing, bobsleigh and skeleton. There are a whole heap of Crystal Globes and special bibs that get awarded at the end of each season, based on the different solo and team disciplines, and overall team and solo points totals. So here's a summary. Both Julia Simon and Johannes Tingisbo won five Crystal Globes this year. Julia took the overall women's Crystal Globe, known as the Big Globe, and the Small Globes for the Pursuit and Mass Start disciplines. I told you she liked head-to-head -head formats. The French women's team also won the Women's Relay Globe and the Nations Cup Points Contest. The other women's globes went to Denise Hermanvik for the sprint and Lisa Vitozzi for the individual discipline. Johannes Tingisbo took the crystal globes for the overall sprint and pursuit. If you win every single sprint, it means you have a head start in every pursuit race, but it still takes something to maintain such a high level of success. The Norwegian men took the relay and Nations Cup globes. It was Johannes's teammate Vettel Christensen who took the globes in the individual and the mass start based on both his consistency and his availability throughout the year. France also led the mixed relay standings, though I'm not sure if this comes with a globe. If it does, then that means that Julia has a share in six globes this year, which is a fantastic outcome. There's a separate competition category for the under-25s. Elvira Erberg took the women's blue bib, and Nicholas Hartbeg took the men's. Now this is where it's interesting to look at depth. On the women's side, the Italian women 
Dorothy Vera and Lisa Vitozzi came second and third in the overall Crystal Globe, and Rebecca Passler and Samuela Camola were in the top, tw- top 10 of the under 25 competition. This shows the strength and depth that's emerging in Italian women's biathlon and that we saw coming to life at the World Championships. The other thing to note is the diversity among the men's under 25 category. Swiss, Italians, Czechs, French, Canadians, Finns, all represented with just one Norwegian. That said, many of the emerging Norwegians compete in the IBU Cup before they graduate to World Cup. People like Stromsign and Surum, who we saw in the World Cup later in this season. So those were the trophies. Let's have a quick look at some of the, at the champions and some of the other biathletes who caught our attention this season. No offence to Julia, but we have to start with Johannes. He took part in 23 races this season. He won 19 of them and finished on the podium in all but one. You have to go back to the very first race of the season, the individual in Contiolate, to find him missing four shots and finishing 12th. Even in the pursuit in Annecy, where he literally couldn't ski because his fishers had no grip in the icy conditions, he still finished third. Now we know he's fast. He's able to take ridiculous amounts of time out of the field on skis. But this isn't a ski race. It's a shooting match as well. And he shot 88% for both prone and standing. The speed with which he'd shoot, particularly in the standing, was phenomenal. Now, admittedly, a lot of the time he was so far in the lead that he could showboat for the crowd, but you still have to get the targets down. He also seemed to be enjoying himself this year. There were smiles, jokes, a general aura of relaxation, which became stronger through the season and when his brother joined him on a series of bodiums. The smiles and the cheek of it in the final shoot of the pursuit in Oslo were just glorious in a sport that can often be a bit po-faced and serious. But this has literally been the best season in the history of men's biathlon. So let's raise a glass to Johannes Dinges Bo. I have loved watching Julia Simon this year. She's still only 26, and you can see her trajectory through the rankings over the years. She had stalled a bit as a top, te- top 15 type biathlete, and then it was like a switch clicked in her mind and suddenly she could shoot accurately, consistently, under pressure, whenever. Her prone shooting early in the year was incredible. We wondered if she would ever miss, and she ended up with a 93% hit rate for the season. She also developed a new steel in the way that she took her standing shoots, particularly the final shoot of the longer format races. Her stand percentage ended at 85%, and that would have been higher but for a couple of bad weekends. If you looked at her sprint season, you'd wonder what the fuss was about. She was sometimes in the top five, sometimes in the top 15. But it was her determination and competitiveness in the head-to-head formats that really lifted her to the top of the rankings. She won four solo races, I think, but it was her consistency that did it. More often than not, she was in the top three or five places across a weekend. Given the variability in other races' form, that was enough to stand her at the top of the rankings with a comfortable lead, even by Christmas. She struggled a bit in the new year. She competed successfully in the World Team Challenge, but that might have had an effect on her freshness for Andholtz. She also looked tired at Oberhof, but still came away with gold and two bronzes. All the way through, she never stopped attacking, never rested, never thought, I'll let this one go. If ever you want to learn about pursuit racing, study Julia Simon. Alongside our champions, I'd like to pick out the overlooked, some people who had great seasons, but might not be noticed in the honours. There are some more names coming later, but these are some people who just deserve a special mention. Firstly, the bridesmaid, 
stir a home Ligrid. He must have got so bored standing next to Johannes on the podium week in, week out. Before his bout of COVID in February, he'd only been outside the top four in one race. He was phenomenally consistent. Generally, he was fast enough to beat most people, though you wonder if his energy levels are as steady throughout a long season as they might need to be. But it was his sublime shooting that made the difference. Biathlon Stats reported today that he hit 181 out of 185 prone shots this season. An astonishing 98%. Try doing anything 185 times and getting it right 181 of them. His stand shooting came in at 85%, and you can see in the stats the weeks where he struggled. And by struggle, I mean that he missed two shots in one race. They were so rare. He seemed to take his bridesmaid's status in good spirits, smiling and enjoying his racing, knowing perhaps that being second to Johannes still makes you the best in the world compared to mere mortals. My second shout-out goes to Lisa Vitozzi. I talked about her during the season. After a career of improvements and growing competitiveness, last year she had a torrid time. She shot 61% in the prone, so she was missing two out of every five prone targets. The prone shoot always comes first in biathlon, and this meant she was always having to chase to catch up. Some weeks it all worked perfectly. Others were just horrible to watch. But whatever she did in the off-season worked. She came into this year and we held our breath and she was phenomenal, not only improving her prone shooting to 89%, but also showing she had the nerves to thrive under pressure and shoot 88% in the stand, particularly in some very big moments. That World Championship relay was a delight to watch. And my last shout out is for someone who might get overlooked in all the honours as well, Emma Lunder. The stats don't really show it. She's someone who's ranked round about top 20, but in the long format races, she's way better she really grew in confidence this year, believing that she would hit the targets and building on her ski speed. She had five top 10 finishes this year, and it was done on the range, much like the Swiss biathletes who I'll come to in a moment. To go with the champions and the shout-outs, unfortunately, there are some underachievers. We probably all came into the season with great expectations from the French men. Canton Fionmaillet was a World Cup winner and Olympic champion last year. Emilien Jacqueline is a hugely talented biathlete with a flair and showmanship that makes him great to watch. And there was good strength in depth in a relay squad that could always challenge the Norwegians. This year, they all flashed brilliance at different times, but Fionn Maillet started slowly and only really found form at the end of the year. Jacqueline had some great results, but also seems to be grappling with his relationship to, to the sport and to how he's coached. There were some great moments for Fabien Claude, Eric Perrault and Antonin Gigner, they all played their part, but it wasn't what they would have wanted. The two main coaches of the team have now departed, and it remains to be seen what will happen next year. Perhaps a fresh start, and the kind of team building that we've seen amongst the French women, will kickstart greater things next season. Sweden were also a mixed bag this year. Elvira Erberg's season started brilliantly, but she just couldn't recover her early speed and stamina after a bout of illness. She was always trying to play catch-up on some sort of energy and physical debt. Even with a poor second half of the season, she still won the Under-25 World Cup. Hannah Erberg lost her way on the range mid-season, but rediscovered things at the World Championships and ended the season in brilliant form. Lynn Person was very consistent, and Anna Magnusson had a couple of good results. There was success for Samuelson, Ponsoloma, Hannah, Erberg and Lynn Person at the World Championships, but even that felt like a surprise in the middle of a slightly lumpy season. Covid seems to have been a factor in a lot of this, 
and you can hope that they can arrive healthy at the start of next year and build some consistent form throughout a whole season together. There were some wily veterans that played a part this year. We've already mentioned some of the retirees, but let's also celebrate a few of the other older athletes. Dorothea Vera seemed not quite the Vera of old, and yet still finished second in the World Cup standings, just ahead of her teammate Lisa Vitozzi. Her performances in Osterson late in the season shows that she still has what it takes, but perhaps we can't expect the highest level of consistency all throughout a year. She'll prove me wrong, I know it. On the men's side, 32-year-old Benedict Doll and 42-year-old Simon Ada just keep on going. Doll had a great season, peppered with podium finishes. And Ada has the shooting prowess to be dangerous. He shot 95% in the prone, not missing until Andholz at the end of January. No sign of stepping away from the sport just yet either. In terms of stars for the future, well, there were so many new people to talk about this year. The Swiss are one of the most exciting teams out there right now. Nicholas Hartweg won the under-25 competition for men, shot 93% in the prone, and picked up some well-deserved podium finishes. He looked mentally tough, shot accurately, and kept competing even when he confessed to the world that he was totally wiped out. Sebastian Stolder is a good partner in crime for him, and picked up some top tens, whilst Amy Berserger is an exciting young talent who showed great accuracy and promise earlier in the season. The Hartweg-Berserger combination could be consistent medal winners in single mixed relays over the next couple of seasons. I'm obviously going to say nice things about the French women's team. I love how they operate, the camaraderie that exists between them, the fact that there are always strong performances, even if you don't always know who they're going to come from. Whilst Julia was the star, she's got some companions on the way up the rankings, especially Lou Jeanne Monod, who shot 92% in the prone, 86% in the stand, and is super fast. She only really wobbled in those high-pressure moments, relays and final shoots, but she finished 11th overall in her first full World Cup season and was a strong competitor in individual and mass start races in particular. I'd love to see Sophie Chaveau building back in confidence, and it's exciting to have Caroline Colombo, Chloe Chevalier, Paula Botte and more all waiting in the wings. The other young women who deserve a shout-out are the Italians, I mentioned them earlier, and another team to watch next year, the Austrians. Their shooting form was excellent throughout the season. I guess that's what happens when you hang around with Simon Ada, and I'm excited to see how they develop. One more. I've talked about Campbell Wright a couple of times. He's the New Zealander who trains with the US team, has lived on and off in Italy, and seems like he's having a great life and being a decent human being at the same time. He took the week away from the World Cup and went off to compete in the World Junior Championships. He's only 20. And guess what? He won the sprint. This is so exciting for him, for the sport, for extending the reach of biathlon to countries that are aware of and participating and winning in this sport. There were some down moments at the end of the season, beyond the retirement of so many stars. As I mentioned above, the coaches of the French men's team have quit, and there's some airing of dirty laundry between them and some of the biathletes. It feels like it's quite bitter, or at least bittersweet. But it also needs the Federation to step in and create a culture and environment that's going to work for the athletes that exist now and in the future, rather than one, perhaps, that was founded on the successes and methods of the past. A big part of that discussion is around mental health. This year it felt like more and more biathletes have talked about the mental side of the sport, and this can only be a good thing. We all have to recognise that this is hard and that athletes aren't robots. We also have to know that social media can be both a joyful community and a nasty hellscape. We can't expect young professional athletes to live their lives in cocoons, never looking at the internet. 
So again, there's a role for federations in working with athletes to give them the skills and resilience to manage social media interactions effectively so that there isn't a negative impact on the athlete's well-being. And we all have a duty to make social media a constructive and positive place if we want the athletes that we love to keep doing what they do. The other thing that starts now is the coaching carousel. We've already seen departures from the French and German coaching staff, and there will be more. It's part of the business of sport. But remember, last year there were 39 coaching changes at a senior level within the sport, and none of them involved women. So my plea to all the federations is, expand your searches. And if your lazy answer is, there aren't any women with enough experience for us to hire, then show me the accelerated training schemes, the mentoring and the development plans that you're putting in place so that you do have more experienced women in the talent pool in the next three to five years. It's amazing to follow a sport that has done so much to integrate women and men in competition, but where there's still work to be done to bring in a wider set of talents, skills and perspectives to the management, coaching and administration of the sport. And now we switch off for the spring and the summer, wondering what we'll do at the weekends and looking for another thing to fill our schedules. A lot of biathlon fans also like road cycling, so I'm expecting to see a few familiar names online during coverage of the Grand Tours this summer. As to the podcast, well, it won't be as frequent, but I will be popping back from time to time. My thought at the moment is to re-watch some old biathlon races and try to recreate through the podcast some of the cultural, political and sporting zeitgeist around them. There are some races that are absolute favourites of mine that are available online, and I'll be putting a call out to anyone with recommendations to add into the mix. Come the summer, we'll also have the summer biathlon season and championships. Take off the snow skis, put on the roller skis, and away you go. More on this when the dates are announced. One last thing. This episode has been about endings, particularly retirements, so I thought I'd take a look at some of the options open to our retiring biathletes. It's very common for athletes to stay involved with sports after they retire, whether as coaches, teachers, administrators or managers. In the US and the UK, sports stars often become sales representatives for companies. Having a famous face can help to open doors. Ongoing endorsements, sponsorship and advertising can keep a successful retired athlete connected to their sport and to an income stream. And there's media work too, perhaps even acting. Though having watched the 2012 short film The Spy Who Loved Biathlon, I think there might need to be some words of warning about any budding movie stars among this year's retirees. Some people move into a different sport. Laura Dalmeyer took up endurance running, whilst English footballer Rio Ferdinand decided to try his hand at boxing. Alternatively, former footballer Arjan de Zoe is apparently now a forensic detective in the Netherlands. Danish footballer Daniel Agger is a tattoo artist and several former, former NFL players have become vintners. So there are many options open to Denise, Marta, Anais, Marie, and others who might be hanging up their rifles. We wish them all every success. Thank you for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information and sources, and all the other episodes in this season, at skishootrepeat.podbean.com. Please do follow us on Twitter, at Ski Shoot Repeat. Do get in touch to tell me what you've enjoyed about the podcast, what you love about this sport, and what you'd like to hear about in the future. I'll be in touch uh, soon with details of the Summer Biathlon Championships and also to ask you for your recommendations of uh, old races that we can watch together um, and comment on over the summer period. Thank you for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. 
I've been Lizzie Boyle.